Hello, and welcome to an Earth Day edition of the Wavemakers podcast. I'm Tamara Khan, and you're listening to the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I wanted to start today with a reminder as to what Earth Day actually is, because it started in 1970 as an initiative to help U.S. citizens become active stewards of our environment. Before that time, the environment wasn't really at the forefront of people's minds here in the U.S. If you've ever watched the movie Anchorman or the show Mad Men that's set in the 60s, you may have noticed some funny scenes, but in the background, there's a whole lot of littering going on. It was completely acceptable. They just throw their trash on the ground in parks and on roadways. Tough for us to even imagine now, but that was just a societal norm. Well, in the late 60s, the U.S. was facing quite the uptick in environmental concerns. Pollution from leaded gas, oil spills, fires, resource shortages. And there were some Americans that felt compelled to stir action. Gaylord Nelson, a then senator and later governor of Wisconsin, established April 22, 1970 as Earth Day. The first thing that they did was organize a teach-in like a seminar on college campuses. They apparently got the idea from the Vietnam War protests, the sit-ins. The date they chose was because it fell between spring break and the finals for college students, and they wanted as much student participation as possible. The goal was to help citizens understand and show concern for what Nelson called the deterioration of our environment and the mindless dissipation of our resources which totally sounds depressing, but how inspiring that 52 years later, we're still celebrating this day and we've come such a long way. It was a great initiative and a nudge for Congress to establish the nation's environmental laws from the National Environmental Education Act, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, and the Endangered Species Act. In 1990, Earth Day went global and more than 141 countries participated. Now that number is almost 200. I think it's pretty important to not let this Earth Day lose meaning. I think it's also important that given that about 71% of the Earth's surface is water covered, Earth Day include thinking about the ocean. Arthur C. Clarke said, how inappropriate to call this planet Earth when clearly it is ocean. So on today's show, we're looking at where the ocean meets the Earth. I'm talking to a company co-founder doing some pretty innovative things with incredibly high-res data collected by high-tech autonomous vehicles. On previous episodes of Wavemakers, we've heard from companies powering the sensors and robots that can do this and supplying the components for ocean-going robots. Joe Wolfel, who joins me today from TerraDepth, which is based right here in my very own Austin, Texas. TerraDepth is collecting comprehensive, high-resolution ocean data with the goal of empowering society with knowledge crucial to the sustainable advancement of lots of key industries. Joe, so excited to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Same here, Tamara. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Wonderful, wonderful. I guess I want to start off, if you would, telling us a bit about you and where you come from, some of your background. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so I was born in the Midwest, outside Chicago. And uh, luckily, my... Uh, my father worked for the airline industry and back then you could actually fly standby a lot of places. And so we ended up taking a lot of trips to the ocean and uh, fell in love with it. You know, like, like a bunch of other kids, you know, would run straight into the, the surf zone when we got to where we were going. But, um, you know, so didn't grow up near an ocean, but 
but always loved it. Um, and so I went to the Naval Academy, you know, in a, in a lot of ways due to that, due to that draw. Um, <clears throat> so while I was at the Naval Academy, 9-11 happened. Um, and so I chose to join the SEAL teams. So I became a SEAL officer after I graduated. So uh, not a ton of time in the ocean, given the way that the world environment was at the time, but, uh, but did spend a lot of time in it and around it. So I um, did my time in the SEAL teams, did some deployments um, overseas. And then once I got out, I got into the business world. And, um, and that has led me to Teradep that I started with Judd Kaufman, who I was also in the SEAL teams with. And um, it's been a great ride. Super. So we have two Navy SEALs who are now co-founders of a blue tech company. <laughs> That's right. That's super. Was there something in particular that stands out? I mean, we could probably hear sea stories from you for hours, <laughs> but was there something that particularly stood out for you during your time as a SEAL um, that you know spawn, led, led you and Judd to spawn this idea? For sure. Um, <clears throat> so broadly, you, you get very close to geospatial intelligence when it you know, impacts your life and the life of the people that you're working with and working for and who are working for you. Um, so you became you know, pretty aware of the geospatial intelligence world and what that looked like, geospatial data and, and what happens when you don't have good data and the bad decisions that you can make. Um, that are, that are really fundamental. And specifically in 2005, a submarine called the USS San Francisco actually ran into an underwater mountain at flank speed. Um, it killed one person on board. We almost lost the submarine, which is nuclear powered. It's a big deal. Um, and because everybody was so well-trained on the, on the boat, you know, the submarine recovered and, and, you know, was able to, you know, to be repaired eventually. But, um, but at that time, it did highlight how little we know specifically about the ocean environment. And we came very, very aware of that, um, just doing underwater operations in the SEAL teams as well, right? And so that that fact always sat in our minds. And, you know, along the, the 12 years, you know, we started Teradepth, we came up with the idea in 2017, started in 2018. And I think that that idea and that the problems that come from just the lack of humanity's understanding with respect to the ocean, the suboptimal decisions that we make because just of a, a lack of data um, is really what gave us the, the motivation and the, the confidence to start the company. Super interesting. So I was having a hard time imagining Navy SEALs. Like I didn't think you'd be looking at data and analyzing the seafloor and what was going on under the ocean during your time as a Navy SEAL. So it, it makes more sense for me that it was the information that you were given to perform your duties that was important. So to have good data um, means better decisions. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's the whole garbage in, garbage out concept, right? <laughs> but yeah, you know, the way that we look at it, you know, you, you collect data and that's raw. You apply some analytics and synthesis to it, it becomes information. You formalize it, it becomes intelligence. You share it, it becomes knowledge, right? And, and that's a serious problem, uh, we think, in the ocean environment today, right? The, the, the ocean data sets are sparse, they're siloed because they were so expensive to collect. And so to the extent that ocean data does exist, 
you know, there's a real problem kind of turning that into, into knowledge, right? Because it's difficult to share, whether through you know, technical obstacles or just, again, back to the economics. And so that's, that's really what we're out to impact, right, is, is essentially consolidating that you know, ocean data value chain so that we can you know, essentially democratize ocean data to an extent that it's not today, all driven towards, you know, and it's, it's an assumption here that you know, with better information comes better, faster decision making. But, you know, that's really what, we're, what we, we designed the company to do. Perfect. So that's what I wanted to get at was the why are you doing this? And maybe now we can kind of talk a little bit more about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Yeah, for sure. Right. So, so the vision of the company is to, is we call it, you know, Google Earth for the ocean, right? It's to, it's to really fill in that 71% of our surface area. Um, and, and really, it's to, it's to really help start filling in the 98.5% of Earth's habitable space, right? That's, that's the biosphere. That the ocean comprises. I mean, it's it's the vast, vast majority of livable space. Now, can humans live in it very effectively? No, but we're not the only organism on the planet either, right? So, <clears throat> there's a huge expanse um, of the ocean that really needs to be covered from a data collection standpoint, and then we really need to modernize the way that those data are consumed and shared by people, right? For that better decision making, and so. As far as what we're doing, uh, there's, there's two, well, there's three major thrusts to the company. One is massively increase ocean data collection capability. Two is radically improve the user experience with that ocean data. And three is to do all those things to inspire human connection with the ocean for those better decisions, right? Um, so along the, the what line, so as far as you know, line of effort one, if you want to call it that, massively increase ocean data collection capability, a lot of the problems around that are and you brought it up earlier, tomorrow. Is, is how do you power sensor payloads reliably over time, right? And economically over time. And a lot of the economic hit in that data collection equation is the requirement for human supervised sensors. Because we put people out on the ocean, we drop sensors in the ocean, we drop robots in the ocean, and people wait for them to come back. And that's very expensive, it's very dangerous, right? So along that line of how do we massively increase ocean data collection capability, it really becomes how do you power sensor payloads and how do you remove or minimize the human supervision requirement for them? And so we came up with a concept um, that, that some people are calling a breakthrough in subsea autonomy, which is you're really removing that human supervisory requirement by using teams of robots to replicate what those people are doing to make the robots work. So we came up with a concept um, of deploying robots in a, in a specific fashion to minimize that human supervisory requirement while this robot can actually autonomously, in other words, without human involvement, recharge its own batteries to power sensor payloads so that we can get data on scale cheaply. Then the second piece of the company is we take that data, whether we collected it or not, right? We're not really snobby about how we get the data. So we take incoming data streams from anybody who is an ocean data stakeholder, and we put it in a cloud-based, browser-based platform that's got petabyte scale, machine learning back search and query capabilities, so you, you can actually find the data. Um, we aggregate, fuse it, and we put it in the cloud. It's called Absolute Ocean, and um, it's, a, it's a very open, flexible software architecture so people can, again, radically improve the way they, they interact with the data. So those are the two main thrusts of the company. Right there. Oh, huge mission. Tons to unpack there. 
Um, There's a lot going on here. Yeah, it's fantastic. A lot. Um, we've talked a lot on this show about how expensive it is to get a ship, get people on the ship, get them out there, how you know, there's dangers and challenges to be faced in the ocean and how, again, expensive it is to deal with some of the problems out there. So with you guys making things autonomous and putting robots, you're saying that can last a long time and collect a lot of data over quite a short period of time and good data, high resolution data, then you're you're essentially making data more accessible. And then your second piece goes into what to do with that data and making it so people know how to use it. I I come from a world of processing data and acquiring and then processing. And the hardest part is then translating what it is for the client so that they're using it effectively. Otherwise, you're just handing them a big mess and they don't know what to do with it and don't want to pay for more. That's right. That's exactly right. And then a lot of cases, you know, people get a data set and they'll pay a lot of money for it. They'll get the associated analytics and the, the report. And we hang on to the report, but we don't hang on to the data. Or if we do hang on to the data, we can't find it later when we want to go, you know, maybe survey that area again, for example, right? And so every time you do the survey, it's like the first time that you did it. And if it's the first time you did it, then you don't have a baseline, which means you can't do change detection. And in a lot of cases, that's what we're trying to figure out, right? So in context of Earth Day, right? So how much is the ocean changing? Oh, we know some of it. We don't definitely don't know all of it, right? Because we don't have the luxury of a baseline. No baseline, no change detection. No change detection, I'd argue it's very difficult to protect things because a definition of protection is the prevention of undesired change, right? But if I can't if I can't perceive change, then how do I know if my protection mechanisms are working or not? And how do I invest and where do I invest to protect things that I care about? It's perfect. We used to call those 4D surveys because you'd get 3D data, but the fourth dimension was time, change over time. And repeating the exact same survey is not easy. Like you said, it could be 30 years ago, they collected data. And now where is that data? Do we still have the same systems to read those, that data, that data file? So uh, it sounds like you, you're using the cloud, which seems a pretty safe bet to, that it'll stick around a while. Yeah, that's the, uh, it's the, it's the beauty and the pain of the internet. It's there forever. Um, a lot of the advantages to the cloud, too, is just from a sharing perspective, right? Instead of you know, having a bunch of you know, on-prem processing and, and desktop licenses, right? With the cloud, what we're able to do is enable a lot of you know, near real-time sharing between geographically dispersed teams. And a lot of the, the individuals who are, as you know, from your, from your background, who are doing ocean data collection are spread out all, all over the world, right? And so instead of mailing hard disk drives or thumb drives back and forth to each other, which happens a lot, um, you know, we put it in the cloud. Right. And we enable a secure way of interfacing with the data. Right. So if you want to share it with the world, you can. If you want to keep it to yourself and your team, you can. Right. But we try to incentivize smart sharing of the data again to really democratize that that view. Right. Because until we're all working from, you know, at least a nominally unbiased data set, you know, we can't have a common foundation. And it's very difficult to have grown up conversations around what we do and don't do in the ocean when 
people are hanging on to their data silos, right? And using it as a weapon to, to essentially reinforce their own arguments, right? Um, that's why we incentivize sharing so much here. Oh, I love that concept. I, I the knowledge sharing and, and making data available to more people. I mean, there's so many great minds that could take that data and look at it from a different perspective and use it differently. So it, it may be collected once and, and re-looked at over and over and over. Completely. I mean, it's, so the, the issues with the ocean, again, because it, it comprises the majority of the planet, I mean, these are really complex issues that, that folks face and struggle with, right? I mean, the, the numbers around ocean-derived resources are staggering, right? And so then there's the, there's the question of, okay, well, do we gather those resources? Do we not? Do, you know, what, what does that mean for the rest of the planet? And, um, you know, it's, it's just, this comes from the military as well, which is you know, when you're facing a very complex, ambiguous problem set, what we learned in combat was the really only way to start chipping away at that problem set was to, to bring multiple informed perspectives with a common data set into the problem such that it, and it's called iterative design, but it, basically you would iterate on the problem with these multiple different informed perspectives until a solution became almost intuitively obvious. And depending on how complex it was, maybe it took a really long time, but yeah, that's a, we took that to heart. Um, I think based on our experiences in 2006, 2007, 2008. I love that because you're showing that your experience in the military is so um, transferable to this kind of work. And I'm sure I know I've changed careers and uh, coming off a ship was very difficult. I'm sure coming out of the mili military, that transition's really challenging. So it's inspiring to hear how you guys um, took what you you knew, took what you learned, and have reapplied it to become founders of a company like this. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, you definitely need to think critically about what to leave behind and what to <laughs> what to keep, because not all of it transfers, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, it's been a learning process. Well, that that can bring me back into like you guys saw this as important. So the before I get into asking you about Absolute Ocean and your data um, visualization tools, uh, I wanted to see what kind of industries this is important to or who this is important to, what you're working on. Yeah. Um, so from a, from a data collection standpoint or just across the board tomorrow? I guess across the board, because you've talked a bit about the data and, and conservation, but in, as far as industry, who's using this? Yeah. We would say basically anybody who's an ocean data stakeholder, Right. So across those verticals, you're looking at offshore wind, for example, there's you know, what looks to be an explosion of offshore wind um, and renewable energy um, involvement on the east and west coast of the U.S. Uh, so all these offshore wind farms are bidding and, and purchasing lease blocks from the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. Right. And once that lease blocks purchased, we need to understand what is within the confines of that lease block from a whole bunch of different perspectives, right? So some are regulatory, you know, hey, are there shipwrecks, for example, that would mean you cannot build on those shipwrecks from just a regulatory standpoint. Um, and then from a, from a logistical standpoint too, right? What's the, what's the high resolution understanding of that seabed look like? You know, what are the geotechnical features that would prevent us from attaching a mooring for said offshore wind 
yeah, development. Um, so that's one one large industry. Submarine telecommunication is another you know, huge industry, right? Land fiber optic cables on the seabed. Yeah, all those cables that are crossing under the oceans that nobody thinks about. Oh, completely. I mean, and I think I think the number is ninety eight or ninety nine percent of transcontinental communication still goes through, or inter, intercontinental communication goes through a fiber optic line that's underwater. Um, now there's a lot, there's a lot of advancements in satellite technology that may start mm -hmm. obviating that, but that's, that's still the reality today. And we're still laying a lot of cable today. Um, offshore asset assurance is a big deal, right? For better or worse, we've got a lot, a lot of offshore assets still in play. Um, so how are we monitoring the degradation of those assets? Are we inspecting them? Where's the data go again, back to change detection, uh, insurance companies, for example, how are we adjusting premiums? Um, man. The list goes on, right? Deep current profile monitoring is something that doesn't really exist on scale today, right? But that has massive impacts on off offshore assets. Loop currents in the Gulf of Mexico. So, oh, so the actual flow of the ocean under underwater and deep water that is affecting things that we have infrastructure that we have in place. That's right. Yeah, down to you know, you've got port authorities, for example. How are we monitoring the silting? How are we preventing barges from running aground? How much water depths under the keel? Um, yeah, I could keep going. Conservation, marine science. <laughs> so, right. Like you said, there's more than humans on this planet. So it's not, not just important to us, but there's other things we have to be careful with and care about as we, we sustainably use the resources we have. Absolutely. You know, environmental DNA is coming online, which is really exciting. You know, how, are we, how do we know what kind of biological organisms are in the water column? Um, you know, especially, especially as we struggle with overfishing issues you know fishermen are starting to fish the midwater now as it's called which means just just fishing deeper right and fishing for those those animals that are coming up to eat the animals that are closer to the surface right so well what does that mean all the effects that we're having on the planet act unknowingly accidentally these are ways that we can monitor it as you said what what change is actually happening and at what rate and what's our fault and what can we control yeah, yeah, you know, there's there's an interesting perspective too out there with respect to data collection on scale, which is, well, if we don't collect it, if we don't collect the data, um, we won't have the knowledge to make bad decisions. And we make bad decisions all the time based on human greed, right? That That's a perspective out there. But, you know, I think our argument here is, well, based on our practical experience, and, and again, going back to the military, ignorance never prevented evil, right? It, it just doesn't. And so, you know, bringing a better understanding, again, not to sound like a broken record, but it should produce better human decision-making on scale faster, right? And if it doesn't, and we use our information poorly to make selfish, greedy, bad decisions, then we've got a whole set of other problems. <laughs> <laughs> are bigger than not knowing much about the ocean, right? Well, you can only take on so much, you and Jed. <laughs> but I, I really like that. Ignorance never prevented evil. I'm going to note that down. Well, tell me a little bit about Absolute Ocean that you mentioned. Yeah, so that's the cloud platform. Uh, we launched it a few weeks ago at Oceanology International, which is one of the world's largest ocean tech conventions. So it was great. Um, to see everybody out again. I mean, you've got the best companies in the world 
with respect to ocean at this event. And uh, it was really great to get their feedback. You know, we got very, very good validation on the platform. Um, you know, I think it's pretty clear to us that it fills a gap for multiple industries, um, specifically hydrographic surveying. You know, how are those hydrographic survey teams aggregating, fusing, you know, modernizing, sharing the data in, a, in, in one spot, right? And how are they securing it to make sure that it's of a quality, you know, to your earlier point, to provide to their clients so their clients are making good decisions with reliable data. Um, so, you know, massive uptake there. Um, obviously, it's, it's always going to be a work in progress, but, you know, the platform basically exists to allow people to upload their own ocean data, determine how or how not they want it to be shared, you know, archive it, and then continue contributing ocean data across time and then share it with the people uh, who need it, whether it's from an internal team perspective or a client perspective. Um, so that's what the platform is. It's designed to enable search and query as well. So we can run artificial intelligence and machine learning in the cloud to identify objects of interest. We can also take people's machine learning models that they design and run them on our platform as well. So, you know, it's really designed to be a, a supremely flexible, open architecture to enable this, you know, what I call an ocean information engine, right? Which is, we're going to put data in, we are going to allow for a highly flexible you know, set of analysis and synthesis on the data. And then we're going to get products on the back end, right? And then we're going to incentivize the right kind of means with respect to ocean contribution or ocean data contribution to really start spinning this flywheel. So we get contribution, we get output, that spurs more contribution and round and round we go really to, to create this ocean information market that, <clears throat> that's got some economic logic behind it, right? Um, I'd love it if we could put something out there and say, hey, everybody, give us your ocean data and <laughs> the world will be a better place. Um, but that's just not going to happen, right? So there's got to be there's got to be the right economic logic behind it, um, and that can be financial, that can be credit. You know, there are a lot of other you know kind of non monetary incentivization mechanisms you can put into a platform like this using modern software architectures that we have now, uh, like distributed ledger technology, for example. Um, and the platform has really been built from an architecture perspective to to take in a lot of those modern software architectural components, right? And, and apply them to maritime data, which, you know, we just had not seen happen previously. So we built it. It's a massive undertaking. I am so impressed with your vision. And uh, I work with a lot of groups that are working to show exactly that, like the convey the extreme value there is in this blue economy and this whole ocean industry. So um, yeah, the, the statistic Right now, it, it, I believe it's three trillion. That sounds in, about right. In blue ocean economy by twenty thirty, is the estimate. It's a huge industry, and I think there's a lot of um, there's a lack of awareness there. So it's great that you guys are contributing, and I've seen your platform just briefly, um, and it is you compared it to Google Earth. It certainly looks cool and usable like that. Um, do you think? I could see being in this world, I know how a lot of people would be using it. Uh, as you said, hydrospatial, hydrographic, excuse me, surveys um, and understanding what's on the seabed. 
for regulation and and building purposes. But what about do you can you imagine people that are not in this industry or this business ultimately using this kind of information? Like they do Google Earth. I mean, they're not living underwater, but there might be uses or reason to know. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that that is a massive, massive endeavor here, right? So, and a lot of this comes from, you know, my ignorance, but, you know, I would get on, <laughs> I would get online and I'd start cruising through various websites that had ocean data and they're really tailored toward, toward subject matter experts, right? And, and that's fine. That, that That's great. But, you know, at least when I entered this ecosystem, I certainly couldn't do any of that, right? It's now enter your code to, you know, literally program your map layer. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to code. So I guess I can't look at the map layer, right? Um, so Absolute Ocean is designed for intuitive use, right? Ultimately getting to an immersive fly-through capability, just like you would see on Google Earth or Google Maps as you basically zoom down into Street View. Now imagine that in the ocean, right? With relevant data sets popping up, right? As you move through a geographic location of interest or your your monitoring change across time, right? That's that's really the direction that we're going to enable you know, anybody from you know, my my seven year old who wants to go cruise through the ocean and see what's down there, maybe see a shipwreck, all the way to you know the best hydrographic survey companies in the world, right? Trying to interact with their data on this platform, right? It's a it's a common user experience across those demographics so that, you know, maybe when my seven-year-old grows up and decides to do something in the ocean, you know, she can be using Absolute Ocean just like, you know, people from Fugro today or something like that. She won't even remember a time where you had to know how to code to to look at that kind of data. Right. That's right. pretty neat. I Yeah, you know, as a kid, I, I remember being very interested in space and wanting to experience flying through space. So it's pretty neat to inspire that let's go under the ocean, which is right here, and more likely that that you'd be able to do it at some point. I mean, I'm, scuba diving is a little piece of that. You might not go as deep as some of these robots will go, but you get to live in that world briefly. Absolutely. You know, it's... Um... It's interesting you bring space up, right? Like we're we're huge fans of space exploration here, right? I mean, just the the human drive to understand the unknown is is amazing, and it's gotten it's gotten us to where we are today, right? But it always kind of hung up in our minds, especially as we were iterating on what this what this company could be. Um, why are we spending so much on space when we're not in the ocean, right? I mean, it, and I. I'm pretty sure those are, that's a factual statement, but you know, the, the NASA budget outstrips the NOAA budget significantly. It's something that comes up a lot here on the American Shoreline podcast. <laughs> oh, <yeah. I'm> sure. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. Um, and so it always just kind of stuck in our, in our minds, you know, why, why is that the case? We've got an, we've got a planet here, right. That I don't think we can write off. Right. And, if people want to make plans to terraform other planets, that, that's fine. But again, to you know what we can impact now, I think it was Judd and my take that you know, hey, look, there's there's an existing you know, there's an existing piece of the planet that we can impact now. There's something we can do now, right? And we can do it here, 
And so that's, that's a lot of what drove us to, uh, to do what we're doing. That's perfect. I, I, I love hearing that perspective and that drive. So definitely commend you and your, your, your aspirations. Um, one of the questions I like to sort of wrap up with is to ask you what you see happening in, in the next 30 years in this industry. What do you think it'll be like 30 years from now? Although we kind of touched on it with your, with your daughter. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I can tell you what's going to happen in the next year uh, <laughs> in the industry. You know, there's, there's one thing I know it's, it's that I'm not good at predicting the future all the time. But um, no, I do think what you're going to see in you know call it call it 30 years, I think you're going to see a fusion of domains, and by that I mean you're going to eventually have a vertically integrated company that's got integrated, and I'm using a lot of big words here, sorry, but you've got integrated geospatial awareness, right? Um, from space to terrestrial, to the sea surface, to the seabed, right? And so I think there will be, you know, an entity or two that will, that will kind of double down on that fusion. And then you're really talking about this truly integrated you know, geospatial intelligence delivery, right? And and my hope is that if we do that in the next few decades, you know, again, we'll be able to start making, you know, if not great, uh, better decisions with how we deal with the planet, right? And the re and the resources that it provides. So I'm just gonna to to clarify a little bit. The word geospatial to me, geo meaning Earth, planet spatial being like space, like the location you are. So you're kind of saying we'll be more fully understanding our entire environment from atmosphere to seabed and, and maybe beyond. <laughs> correct. Correct. You know, I, I think we're going to you know, essentially aggregate all that information um, and have it in have it in largely one spot, you know, it's, that's, that's the way that I see things going. Um, and, you know, specifically for the industry, you know, the, you know, call it the, call it the maritime ecosystem. You know, I think we're going to have a lot more persistent, uh, sensing going on. Right. And so we'll have better, faster information to make for, so people make better, faster decisions. Um, <clears throat> you know, and the hope is that we, that we choose to do things and choose not to do things in a smart way based on that better understanding. Um, I guess my, my main point here though, is I see that, you know, that geospatial um, fusion coming, not just within the maritime space, but outside of it. Right. So, that, you know, essentially combining all the great things that are happening with satellite technology right now, for example, right. And integrating that into a maritime context. And, um, and you're already seeing some of that. Right. Satellite, you know, derived bathymetry is, is a good example of that. Um, airborne LIDAR systems are a good example of that, right? Getting bathymetric LIDAR and an understanding of the seabed, at least from a shallow perspective. And I think that's just going to, that's just going to increase, right? And you're going to have a company out there that's got both satellites or it's got satellites, aircraft, it's got autonomous surface vehicles, it's got autonomous underwater vehicles, right? Or, or maybe something really cool I haven't even thought of yet, right? And it, but they're all they're all combined into this you know data collection stack, and uh, 
I'd say I'm a, I'd say I'm a little bit confident in that over the next couple of decades. I think it makes sense. I mean, if you look at just our Earth data and what we know, um, even when you're using your map on your phone, all that is a bunch of data aggregated together to put together a full picture. So I could, I have to agree with you. Um, well, I'm so happy TerraDepth is so involved in, in and really leading the way on making this data understandable and accessible to people. Uh, is there any anything you want to leave our listeners with? Any message or call to action? How to get hold of you? How to get involved? <laughs> well, sure. Um, you know, one, I would just say, you know, think more about the ocean. Um, it's a big deal, even if you don't live next to it, right? Um, so that's number one, right? There's a lot that we can do, whether it's, you know, not using plastic straws and not using plastic, um, which is a huge, huge problem in the ocean specifically, but, um, all the way to, you know, contributing in a, in a helpful way to the community, right? Whether it's through donation dollars or supporting conservation entities, et cetera. Um, but I guess I, the thing I would leave everybody with is that, you know, the way that we view it here is that we're we're just a part of what is hopefully a solution, right? This is a huge problem. It's going to take a huge community to really, you know, start picking at solving the problem of humanity's lack of understanding with respect to what's going on in the ocean, right? So, you know, I think it's a huge problem when people um, have so much ego and pride that they think their solution is the end all be all. And you know, what we're trying to provide here is software platform where people can come together, contribute, make good decisions. And we're also trying to help where we can on the ocean data collection side, but there's a huge community of people out there who are doing a lot of great work in, in all areas of this, right? And so it's more about, you know, coming together and partnering than it is about competing and, you know, trying to be the biggest fish in that particular ocean. So guess uh, yeah, think about the ocean and work together. That'd be it. I love that message. Joe, I am so happy that I got to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. Uh, between you and Judd, just really great. I feel like I've learned a lot and I just love your messaging. So um, keep it up. Keep educating people with those statistics and, and explaining why it is you're working on what Terra Depth and you, yourselves are working on. I appreciate it. Thanks for everything you're doing here. This is great. Thank you. Thanks also to the listeners, as well as the American Shoreline Podcast Network for producing the show. As always, I'm Tamara Khan, and you can reach me via Instagram at Lady Blue Tech. Let me know if you're interested in sponsoring an episode or if you know of an innovative ocean technology that's making some waves. I'm going to leave you with the thought of the ocean and if Maybe you take a deep breath and take a second breath today. <laughs> you can thank the ocean for one of those two. It's been around for billions of years, adding oxygen to Earth's atmosphere. Happy Earth Day, everybody. Happy Earth Day.